I'd like for you to turn to the 95th Psalm. What I want to do is try to overcome the great despair that I feel today because the bears lost yesterday. And uh, I want to try to set the, uh, kind of set the feeling for Thanksgiving. Psalm 95. What a psalm for Thanksgiving. I hope you each will turn to that 95th Psalm. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for it was He who made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the days of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. Samuel Kaiser once wrote, There was a man who smiled because the day was bright, because he slept at night, because God gave him sight, to gaze upon his child, because his little one could laugh and leap and run, because the distant sun smiled on the earth, he smiled. He smiled because the sky was high above his head, because the rose was red, because the past was dead. He toiled and still was glad, Because the air was free, he smiled because he loved. And she that claimed his love and he shared all the joys they had. Because the grasses grew, because the sweet wind blew, because he could hew and hammer, he was glad. Because he lived, he smiled. And he looked ahead, not with bitterness and dread, but nightly sought his bed as calmly as a child. And folks thought he was mad because he was glad for just the things he had. And they shook their heads and smiled. I suppose that a person who is not always complaining and griping and grumbling 
is an odd sight. (laughs) I guess folks would smile and shake their heads at the sight of a man who has nothing to complain about and does not criticize. For the man who has learned to celebrate life and to be grateful for what is his and has learned the fine art of thanksgiving is in the minority. In Jesus' day, it was one in ten. Ten lepers healed, only one returned to give thanks. Years ago, Art Linkletter had a radio program called People Are Funny. I'm dating myself. I used to listen to that back before the wheel was invented. And, and, and it was Thanksgiving, and so, Martin, and so Art Linkletter uh, called somebody up out of the audience and, 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 and sent him out to a hotel nearby. And he was to open the doors of pe- for people who were entering the hotel. And, and the first person who said thank you, he was to bring back to the studio for a valuable prize. Twenty-five people went through that door before one said thank you. Perhaps we need to memorize George Herbert's prayer. Lord, thou that hast given me everything, give me one thing more, a grateful heart. And perhaps Shakespeare's plea, Lord, thou that lendest life to me, lend me one thing else. A heart replete with gratitude should be our prayer. For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God with regard to thanksgiving. Oh, come, let us sing. And so the psalmist stabs us awake to the need for praise and, be thank- and, and to be thankful. This is a psalm sung after the Babylonian captivity. It was probably sung the first time at the dedication of the second temple. And it was to be sung every time the Jews came to worship. Oh, come, let us sing. A Gallup poll probably wouldn't find too many people gathered around a piano singing hymns. But the psalmist were folks who found that their greatest delight in life was in praising God. Oh, come, let us bow down before the God who made us. And John Calvin reminds us that that Hebrew word come translates into a man beckoning his hand like this, saying, hurry, hurry. And it's the picture of a person who is so full of gratitude and praise that he just can't wait to get to the place where that praise and gratitude can be expressed. What an important word is the word thank you. Have you ever noticed that when a person travels to a country where they speak another language, one of the first words he learns is thank you? I I said a few in another tongue this morning and folks smiled at me as though I were getting it wrong, so I'm not going to try it in the second service. But have you ever noticed that, that when you go to another place, to where they speak another language. The, one of the first words you learn is thank you. It's such a, an important word. It's the key to someone's heart. And truly, it's the key to the gates of God. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. And I will enter His courts with praise. I want you to think with me from this text about three things. 
First of all, I want you to think with me about the scope of our ingratitude. I want to get the negative stuff off first. The cartoon has Charlie Brown and he has him a little ice cream parlor and his first customer is Lucy. And she sits down and he takes her order. She wants mint ice cream. So he disappears, comes back with a bowl of green ice cream, sits it on the table before her. She takes a bite, kind of makes a face and says, that doesn't taste like mint to me. He said, well, really, all the only flavor we have is vanilla. But isn't it amazing what you can do with a green felt-tip pen? (laughs) I'm not going to paint this sermon with a green felt-tip pen. It's, It's amazing how life looks when you look at life through rosy glasses. But I'm going to be realistic, and I'm going to admit with you that we're basic ingrates to the core. And so the psalmist said, don't be like your, don't be like your fathers down in Meribah, Massa. Fight like father, like son. We're too much like them. And of course he is alluding to Israel in her wanderings, grumbling and complaining and never thankful. Don't be like your fathers, he said. And the psalmist helps us to diagnose this disease that's infected all of us. And this psalm is actually a spiritual x-ray that kind of shows us where the problem is. And the psalmist acts like an intern and he puts his finger on why it's so difficult for us to say thank you and why so many of us are basic ingrates. And the first thing he points out is hardness of heart. Now, it's interesting that that word in the Hebrew does not refer to hard like rock. It refers to insensitivity and indifference. And it pictures that insensitivity that never notices, that takes things for granted. I have this picture of the rich man and Lazarus the beggar meeting up after death just on the other side. And I have a picture of this rich man who sees Lazarus perhaps for the first time, although he had been at his gate begging for his crumbs for his lifetime. And I have a feeling that the rich man in defending himself must have looked at Lazarus the beggar and said, I never saw you. I never noticed. And Abraham says, well, you should have. What I'm pleading for this morning is not so much gratitude as sensitivity. A sensitivity where a husband and a wife really see each other. A sensitivity for a father to see his son while his son is still moldable and plastic. The sensitivity of a mother who, is, who can see her daughter while she's still in the age of formation. A sensitivity for God's people to see the needs of this world and the glory of God around them. To stop taking things for granted. And then he said, this is your problem. And he puts his finger on our pride. This is the way he says it. They tried me, though they saw my works. One time in my quiet time, I came across this verse and I put it in the margin. Why do we keep on, quote, trying God when we've seen his works? And of course, he's alluding to the fact that Israel had seen God at work. They had seen the plagues. 
They had seen the miraculous deliverance from the enemy at the Red Sea. They'd seen its parting. They had watched as God brought manna down from heaven, bread from heaven. They had seen God at work, and they kept on saying, as it were, where is God? Why doesn't God do something? And, the, and, the, and you can just kind of hear the heartbeat and the heartbreak of God in this verse, in this word, as if He were saying, how long is it going to take, folks, before, before you're willing to accept the fact, how long am I going to have to deal with you before you're willing to admit that I'm your God of grace? It's the problem that Jesus had with His disciples. And after every miracle almost, they just stood there astounded. And Jesus would look at them and He'd say, How long am I going to have to persuade you folks? How long am I going to have to show you that I'm a God of power? I mean, what's it going to take for us to bow our necks and bend our knees and admit to what stares us in the face that God is our God and He's so good to us? This is your problem, said the psalmist, and he puts his finger on a third thing, thoughtlessness. He said, they do not know my works. Really, the word there means they have a deficiency in appreciation. They knew that God was doing something, but they had no depth of appreciation for it. They didn't think. It's interesting that the, word think, the words think and thank come from the same root. In other words, if you think, you'll thank. I preached a revival at a little church out in West Texas a few years ago, and I stayed in the home of a very wealthy man, very wealthy family. And, and the preacher told me, uh, the pastor of the church, he said, you can't imagine how that man's life has turned around. He said, a year ago, he was absolutely, totally worldly and materialistic. He said, it's amazing the change that's happened in this man's life. So one night, we were just sitting there around the fire, Visiting, and I just asked him, I said, what happened in your life that turns you around? He said, well, it's really simple. He said, one night, uh, they had a little baby. He said, the baby was wanting a bottle. He said, I got up to give my wife a break. And he said, I, I was sitting in the, in the den here, right on this couch. And he, he pointed to the couch. He said, I was giving that baby his, his bottle and was just kind of sitting there. And I was thinking a little bit and reflecting. He said, I was just kind of looking at my baby. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, I looked around at this beautiful home I own, and he said, I thought about all the land I farm. He's farmed about three sections of land, all the equipment that I had. He said, it just started dawning on me, preacher. He said, I just said, there just a few miles down there he said all of a sudden it just kind of dawned on me I said to myself this is not yours because of your intelligence super intelligence you don't have what you have because you're charismatic and, and dynamic don't you see son that what you have is because I have given you I have given it to you oh come let us sing unto the Lord. I want you to take a second with me at the second thing, at the sensibility of our gratitude. I don't know whether you caught it or not, but this psalm just kind of 
throbs with the idea that, that we ought to be grateful. I mean, it, it's, it's, it sings a song of gratitude. And, and the psalmist kind of is, is, is kind of saying, folks, we have reasons to be thankful. We ought to be grateful. Somebody said everybody ought to have a kind of a mental rosary, and every bead on that rosary, mental rosary, is a, is a precious memory, memory of some beautiful sight he's seen, some fellowship he's enjoyed, some gift he's received. And every now and then he ought to just take out that rosary and, and finger it and, and remember the things for which he ought to be grateful. I, I, I did that this week. Now, I, I, wanna, I just want to kind of... I took a little uh, sentimental journey into the, down the halls of my memory this week, and I, I, I want to share with you some things that I thought of as I thought about that for which I ought to be grateful. And the only reason I'm sharing it with you is that you might identify with it. I thought of the fact that I ought to be grateful for the fact that I live in America. Let it not be said of him, of me, that he has a soul so dead that never to himself has said, This is my own, my native land. John Gardner, who founded the lobby, uh, Common Cause, said that in the time of revolution, the revolutions of the latter part of the 60s and the 70s in America, he said what was happening is that we were caught in a crossfire of uncritical lovers and, and unloving critics. He said these uncritical lovers were saying, America, love it or leave it. Just as simple as that. And he said, on the other hand, you had these unloving critics who were setting fire to America saying, burn, baby, burn. And he said, somehow we needed a balance. We have to have a balance th that he called a perceiving a perceptive love. I, I think that I have that perceptive love this morning when I say that this country we live in has all kinds of problems that are about to, that are about to wreck some of us, but for all of its problems, it's the greatest place in the world to live. Let it never be said that we have a soul so dead, never to ourselves have said, this is my own, my native land. I'm grateful for the fact that I was born in the country. Now, I wasn't too hot on it while I was being, you know, growing up there, but I, I'm, I'm so thankful for that fact. Somebody said that, that uh, God made the country and man made the city, and you sure can tell the difference. You, you really can. I'm so thankful for those memories. Cotton patches and watermelon patches and, and animals to care for. And, and those bull bats, we, we, we call them bull bats. They are night hawks that used to zoom through the night sky. Oh, what precious memories. Those scissor tails that wake me up in the morning, Huckle, honeysuckle vine by my window, pomegranates and persimmon trees. How grateful I am for the fact that I was born in the country. I'm thankful for the fact that I had a Christian home. My father was a devout Christian. He was strict. I thought he was the meanest man in Knox County. I was absolutely certain of it. I couldn't go where some of my friends went, and I resented that. I couldn't stay out as late as some of them did. He, he thought we came from somewhere and was going somewhere, and he got us all in the ark, and I see his point now, and I appreciate him. I'm thankful for a Christian mother. If I were hanged on the highest hill, I know whose love would follow me still. If I were drowned in the deepest sea, I know whose tears would come down to me. If I were damned of body and soul, I know whose prayers would make me whole, my mother. 
I'm grateful for a loving wife and, and, and wonderful children. God has been good to me. I'm thankful for the church. I grew up in a church. I mean, I cut my teeth on a Baptist hymnal. I went to prayer meeting, believe it or not, and RAs and Sunday night, and every time they opened the doors, I was at church. I love the church. I'm grateful for the friends that I've had, deacon friends and church friends, people that prayed for me and supported me financially, listened to my sermons. They got a special little star. God's going to, he's going to find out who their preacher was. And when he finds out it was me, he's going to put a special little star right up on their chart up there somewhere. I mean, they listened to my preaching and, and they encouraged me and they prayed for me and they helped me up to God. And I, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm here today because there are some friends who, who believed in me when I got to a point where I didn't believe in myself. And I'm thankful to God for His unspeakable gift. The psalmist said, Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation, underline it. His unspeakable gift. Charles Kingsley was asked one time the secret of his beautiful life, and he said, I had a friend. If there's anything about my life that approaches beauty, it will be because I had a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew Him. He drew me with the cards of love, and thus He bound me to Him. Lance Havner tells about two barges passing on the Mississippi. And a Negro deckhand, as they passed, pointed to one, spoke to one of his friends and pointed to the captain of the other barge and said, See that man on that barge? That's the captain. A few years ago I fell overboard and he jumped in to save me. And ever since that day I just loved to point him out. Said Havner, there was a time when I was going down for the third time, and the creator of this universe jumped overboard and saved me. And ever since that day, I just love to point him out. It makes sense to be grateful. Would you like to look one other, at one other thought, please? At the source of all blessing. Did you notice it's not come let us sing, it's come let us sing to him. I liked it when we, back, you know, when we were fanatical back in the Jesus movement, when we used to, st in church, you know, we'd point our finger up like there. I, I like, I kind of like that. Oh, come, let us praise Him. You know, I, I kind of enjoy from time to time seeing a man lift up his hands and praise. Oh, come, it's not let's, let's, let's be thankful. It's let's be thankful to Him. It's not let's come and shout. It's come let's shout to Him. It's not let's praise, let's have a praise time. It's let's praise Him. We have an object of our thanksgiving and our praise, do we not? It'd be pretty sad if we had no one to thank. You kind of pity Catherine Maysfield, the author who wrote a friend and said, Last night at 10.30 I finished my book. When I wrote the last sentence, dotted the last, made the last period, I said, thanks be to God. Then she added, oh, if there were just a God to thank. I've been longing to praise Him. We have a God to glorify. We have a person to praise. We have one to thank. Let's sing to Him. Now take off your shoes because the symphony begins to mount a crescendo and He describes Him who is the object of our praise.
He calls him the king of the gods. The king of all gods. Now, every one of Israel's neighbors had its own favorite God, and Israel was always being tempted to try my God, try my God. But God didn't have to worry because he was the king of the gods. Why would we try another God? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the sixth chapter of Isaiah. I, I want you to turn to that. We've got lots of time today. I, I want to show you something. It, 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 it'll, it'll be worth the journey over to the sixth chapter of Isaiah. Let's just, let's just look at that right quickly. Isaiah is that Old Testament prophet. Sixth chapter, you, you remember, you, you know the occasion of this sixth chapter, this vision, don't you? It was, it was at the death of Uzziah the king that Isaiah went to the temple. It was a critical time. The nation was in peril. Isaiah's friend, the king Uzziah, had died. You can imagine how difficult that day was for him. Now look at what it says in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death... I saw the Lord. Did you notice that little word, that word Lord? It's capitalized, but it's little O-R-D, Lord. I want you to jump down to verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And, and, the, words are, and the letters are capped. They're capitalized. There's two different spellings of the word Lord there. You, you know why that's there? The translator, the translator wants us to see that there are two names here for Lord. One is the, is the name Yahweh, the name God gave of Himself to Moses, the great I Am, the one who provides. The other is more of a title like President Reagan title. It's like the psalmist when he cried, O Lord, our Lord. And what he's telling us is that this Lord is the Lord of Lords. This king is the king of kings. This God is the king of gods. Now watch this as it fits into the context. Isaiah came to the temple. The king was dead, but the king of kings was, was, was alive. He came to the temple in despair and, 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 and in difficulty because the earthly king was dead, was gone, but the king of the kings was very much there. As a matter of fact, he was so there that his train, that thing that goes out behind somebody who's getting married, and, and, you, and, and you could tell one's status by what they wore, his train filled the temple to every crack of it. He was so much there that he couldn't move without the gates of the post of the, of the temple moving. This king of the kings was on his throne. He went to church and he saw the Lord. Now the object of our praise is the king of gods. Now that's worth getting some... No wonder this thing sings. That's worth getting excited about. And I can just see the excitement in some of you as you hold open your eyelids and hang in there. Stay with me, would you? What he's saying about him? He's saying he's sovereign of all that is. He's sovereign of all that is. The one who is the object of our praise and thanksgiving is sovereign of all that is. The king of the gods. Secondly, he's saying he is the source of all that is. He said he made the dry land and he made the sea 
and He made you. Did you notice that in the text? Flowing out of this one, this King of the gods power, flowing out of Him is that creative power that brought everything into existence. The source of our praise, the object of our gratitude is the one who made everything that is, including you. He is the source of all that is. He is the sustainer of all that is. He said He has the peaks of the mountains in His hand and He has the depths of the earth in His hands. Now I want you to catch the the, the metaphor there. He holds the heights and the depths. He holds the smallest and the greatest. He, he, He has the biggest and the littlest and the whole gamut in between. It means that God holds it all in His hands. The peaks of the mountains the depths of the earth. No wonder it throbs with song. Here is this God with the seas churning in the cup of His hand, in whose presence the vastness of the universe is like a tiny tent in the desert, and the stars stand at attention whenever He calls their names at night the Lord God Almighty. And the prophet said to his day and to ours, stop gazing upon the pride and the power of Babylon and Russia and start gazing on the handiwork of God in the stars and the sea and the stream of human history and build your life around God. Focus and feed upon Him and He will be the death of anxiety and fear. He's no diminutive God of man's making. He's not a whipped cur of a deity with his tail between his legs. He's the God who holds the heights and the depths in his hands. Now that's pretty magnificent. But this is even more so. He said, He holds you in His hand. He said, you're the sheep of His hands. I wish you could see that with me. A shepherd taking a little lamb in his arms. How does He hold us? Not like a man would grasp a toy. Although no toy has ever meant more to a child, nor has any gem ever meant more to a miser than you mean to God. He does not hold you like a puppeteer holds a puppet. Although he has 10,000 strings to pull upon your heart that a puppeteer has never known. He holds you like no other father this world has ever known wants to hold his only child. He holds you like a shepherd holds his lambs. You know what it means? It means that the focus of His power and love is you and me, brother, you and me, sister, in His hands. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us kneel before the God who made us. Heavenly Father,
how wonderful it is to come and celebrate together. To praise you and to give thanks to you. Old Satan himself will do everything to keep us from praising you. He'll make microphones pop and explode. Children cry. Saints be restless. It always happens when we start to praise you. Satan gets angry. We lift up our hands and our hearts to you in praise in spite of him. And we claim for you, Lord, the victory of this moment, the victory that praise brings when you inhabit it. To the glory of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Now there are three invitations. Isn't it amazing how old Satan wants to wipe us out when we go to praise Him? It just dawned on me while I was praying that prayer. Old Satan, when we start praising the Lord, God inhabits the praise of His people. He gets all worked up. I want us to win the victory from Him today. I want you to do what God wants you to do today. I will... We'll thumb our nose at Him. The invitation this morning is for you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He made you. His Son died for you. He wants to be your Savior. The second invitation, these are simultaneously for you to come and place your life in the church. His church is so important to Him that He died for it. And it's His church that comes together sings, prays, worships. Or perhaps there are those of us who, have, who just need a fresh touch of the Lord, who need, to meet, who need to make a rededication of life. You've taken life for granted, blessings for granted. You're one of these that's like the fathers in the miracle. Would you come in repentance and faith and trust this morning? Come in rededication, church membership. Would you do it? While we stand would you, and sing, would you come?